Shout out. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn. And your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and God will say, here I am. This is the word of God for the people of God. Isaiah is saying to his people, they are caught up in sin and rebellion against God, and they do not know it. When I read this passage, I immediately thought of that story of King David and his court prophet Nathan. You can find the whole story in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, but you may know this one. King David is in the palace. He's looking off the top of where he lives, and a woman catches his fancy. He decides to beckon her to the palace. He starts an affair with her. Then she becomes pregnant. The problem is her husband is off fighting in the military on behalf of Israel, on behalf of King David. He calls Uriah, the husband, back, asks him to go home to his wife. The next morning he meets with Uriah and the king says to him, did you go home? And see your wife and he said well i went home but i slept outside on the ground because my men are fighting in the battlefield and it would be wrong for me to do that when they're all away what can i do for you king david is frustrated he sends him back to battle with a note to the commander to say put him up front and sure enough he is killed so David thinks he's kind of off the hook. He takes this woman for his own bride, adds her to the harem, so to speak, in the palace. Later, Nathan, the prophet, comes to King David and says, I need to tell you a story. And the king says, sure. And he says, there were two men. One of them was rich and had herds of cattle and sheep all over the hillside. The other one was a poor man and had one lamb. 
the rich man comes and takes the one lamb and slaughters it, uses it for his own pleasure. And David is furious. He says, the man must die. And Nathan says, you are the man. David is in rebellion or sin against God, but he cannot see it until Nathan gives him a different lens with which to see his own sin. Isaiah is saying something similar to his people in this passage today from chapter 58. Listen again as we look at these verses. In verse 1, he just makes it clear that God has said to him, Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. And then in verse 2, he goes on and explains the problem further, saying, Yet day after day they seek me, this is God, they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. Isaiah is saying not that his people are bad people, but they are people on the wrong path. They're walking in the wrong way. They're not putting all of this together quite right. They're delighting to try to draw closer to God when they fast, when they humble themselves, when they worship, when they pray. But then they go on in their everyday life and violate the ordinances, Isaiah says, or the guidance or the rules of God. King David is a great example for us because we're told that he is a man after God's own heart. He wants to please God. And yet we're also informed of the stories where he engages in behavior that is despicable, where he's violated a woman, her husband, and God. He is a mixed bag as a leader. But it's not just King David. I think it could be any one of us. I think it's probably all of us that sometimes we do really well and we're right on with God's will and we have aligned ourselves and done great things for God and we can feel good about that. And yet there are other times where we go astray, where we're not listening closely to God or we know what God has said and we decide to do something different anyway that hurts ourselves or someone close to us or our neighbor or oppresses other people that we know. In verse 3, Isaiah says, Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day and oppress all your workers. That is, you're acting like you're trying to draw closer to God. At the same time, you're oppressing God's people. We continue to hear this theme in Isaiah and throughout the other prophets that our faith and worship at their best lead us to right relationship, to justice-making, to working so that we're not only working for ourselves, but working for others on behalf of the good of the community, that we're thinking of other people. Isaiah is calling his people, and through this scripture, calling us to notice the people in the shadows, the people on the edges, those who have been pushed out or marginalized or oppressed who 
for whatever reason need some help they're carrying too many burdens to make it on their own and people of faith are called to lift the burden to help them out in verse 6 i think this is probably where this is clearest god is speaking to the people and says is not this the fast that i choose to loose the bonds of injustice to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. That is to look for anywhere there's a problem, a burden, where someone's oppressed and give them a hand up to take the burden or the yoke off. God, through Isaiah, is calling the people to action. And what you notice when you read through the prophets, it's often directed to the leaders to those with wealth and power to take some action on behalf of someone else who doesn't have the same wealth or power. But of course, Isaiah recognizes that there is a problem. Even when you want to do good, even when you want to do justice-making, it is hard to discern where to act. Even when you have the impulse to fix it, it's hard to know what to do or where to go or how to make a difference that really helps somebody else out. Reminded me of a story I read in my favorite book last year, a book called Factfulness by Dr. Hans Rosling. He is a university professor, global health expert, wrote this book just before he died. In fact, his children had to finish it because he didn't quite complete it before his death a couple of years ago. But he tells the story in the book about one day when he's lecturing to a room full of university students and he's talking about how large pharmaceutical companies spend most of their research dollars coming up with drugs to help people who have enough money to pay for them. He says, you know, they don't spend hardly any research money on fighting diseases like malaria or others that afflict mostly poor people. And he's talking about how this works. And there's a student in the front row that's getting really frustrated. And finally, the student, while Dr. Rosling's still talking, just stands up and blurts out, let's punch them in the face. And the professor says, punch them in the face? He said, yeah, let's punch them in the face. And he says, well, a matter of fact, I've been invited to lecture at one of the big pharmaceutical companies later this year. When I get there, shall I just start punching anybody I see in the face? And the student said, no, find the boss, punch him in the face. <laughs> and he said, well, I happen to know the boss. I'll recognize him. I can punch him in the face when I see him. But do you think that will motivate him to change the company's research policies? And then another student said, no, not the boss. Find the board. It's the board of directors. Find them and punch them in the face. And he said, well, as that luck would have it, I'm supposed to speak to the board of the directors. When I walk in, I will just start punching them in the face. They have security. I won't get to everybody, but I can get a few good swings in. But then he said, do you think then the board will vote to change the research policies? Another student said, no, you all don't understand. They're a publicly traded company. It's the shareholders. We've got to find the shareholders. 
Dr. Rosling said, right, it is the shareholders, and how are we going to find them? We've got to know who owns most of the shares. Do you know who owns most of the shares of big pharmaceutical companies? The students don't know. He says it's retirement funds. Retirement funds love big pharmaceuticals because when other stocks are going up and down, pharmacy companies are pretty steady. People still have to take their medicine, so their sales remain really good. So retirement funds are the key. Find people who have retirement dollars. So he said, let me suggest this. When you go home this weekend and see your grandma, punch her in the face because <laughs> she likes it steady income we got to find those greedy seniors who want income in their later years and punch them in the face after he paused for a moment he said and i'm just thinking last summer when you all went backpacking and grandma sent you a few extra dollars to spend i bet you already spent it didn't you they shake their heads he says okay you got to go home and look in the mirror and punch yourself in the face. It's complex. Fixing human problems can be really complicated. It can be hard to know where to go to work. But Rosling says, so often what we want to do when we hear about an injustice is find somebody and blame them. But he says we have to do better than that. He says we must go beyond blame to action, that we have to take some practical steps in our own lives if we're going to make a difference. Isaiah makes the same kind of move when he's writing to his people. Listen to verse 7. When he's talking about this fast that God wants, he says, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin or your own relatives. Now Isaiah is writing some 700 years before Christ is born. The context in which he is writing is very different from the one in which we live, most people are living in very small rural farming communities. If someone's down on their luck, if anyone's going to take care of it, it's got to be a relative or a neighbor, someone who lives there. They do not have social services as we know them today. Yet we know we live in population centers with lots more people, complicated problems. We don't know everybody. We don't know all the problems Yet, I think we can still grasp the point Isaiah is making. I think we can still see that we have some responsibility for the welfare of our neighbor. We can still see throughout Scripture, Hebrew Scriptures, Christian Scriptures, Gospel, Epistles, Prophets, all through the Scriptures, we hear this theme resounding over and over. People of faith love God and love your neighbor do something to help someone else isaiah says worship gets real when it motivates us to align our action with god's intent for all people to be cared for in their time of need 
What is your role in that? There's lots of ways to respond. Lots of places to volunteer. You could go over to our Redemption Church, which is helping people reintegrate in society after incarceration and serve a meal or do a Bible study or be a greeter. You could come down here on Thursday nights in Jubilee and have a meal with those who are struggling with mental health issues and be a part of worship, maybe even share a talent as part of the worship. You could go over to the Equality Center and serve a Thanksgiving meal for people who, because of their sexual orientation, are no longer welcome in their homes. You could, I don't know, sponsor a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout troop or volunteer in one that's already going on. You could come down here in our after-school program and volunteer at Sistema. It's a program, a ministry through music to help Children who often don't have these opportunities have an environment of love and care, of discipline and desire, so that they can experience growth and excellence in music and therefore see that that's possible for them and their lives in any number of realms. Some people choose careers based on this sense of calling toward justice. Some go to law school or medical school so that they can prepare. Some go to seminary so that they can prepare to do work in congregations, helping them be people of faith, doing justice and good in their community. Some become politicians. Some write letters to their politicians, to their representatives. So many different ways. Some of our people serve on boards like the Oklahoma Center for Community and Justice or Tulsa Metropolitan Ministry or the Alzheimer's Association or the Parkinson's Foundation. I mean, there's lots of ways to do justice, to help people who have been oppressed in one way or another, that have been overlooked by society for the most part, and lift them up and make a difference. How will you serve? What skill or talent do you have that you could share? What could you give? What might God be saying to you in terms of how you could respond to Isaiah's call about what our faith should look like in action? Where do you want to respond to God and to your neighbor? It is not the place of service as much as our noticing noticing God leading us to serve. That's what Isaiah says, that his people just don't notice. They're not observant. They're not paying attention. They're only attending to their own affairs, and they've forgotten that the call of God in their lives asks them to expand their view. The good news in this passage comes right at the end. Isaiah says, whenever we are willing to, to take these kinds of actions, we will find our place in the world becomes a place of light, healing, victory, and glory. That we'll experience that when we're doing justice in the name of God or as a follower of Christ. And not only that, not only will you get to experience that kind of life of light and healing and victory and the glory of the Lord, but Isaiah says, know this. When you're doing that, it's hard work, so you're going to call on God. And know that when you call on God, you will hear God say, Here I am. God will be with you in the work. 
In other words, not only does worship draw you closer to God, but service and doing justice in the world draws you closer to God. May you find as you put your faith into action that God is with you and that you're experiencing the presence of God leading you and filling you and equipping you to be a person of faith both in worship and in practice. May it be so for all of us. Amen.